In 49 states, it's just basketball. <laughs> but this is Indiana. We okay. grow basketball here. Yeah, I feel like we should work for the Pacers marketing department. <laughs> Blue collar, gold swagger, I don't know, beat the heat, whatever. I can't think of them all. But we're back. Uh, Kevin's corner three in a week. Uh, Chris Presley is probably fed up with me like none other. But uh, it's time. It, it's probably been time for a while, to be honest with you, Chris. We uh, have not done a Pacers podcast in a while. Uh, Colts typically dominates the news cycle, as you'd expect, and they're in the season. And, boy, I felt like I blinked, and we went from bubble to a firing to a hiring and a quiet off season, like free agency-wise and draft-wise. Pacers bring back, I think, their top 13-minute people mm-hmm. from last year. And here we are. Uh, opening night is Wednesday yeah. against the Knicks. Yeah, you, you you worded it correctly. It got to a point where I'm so dialed in with the Colts and the success that they are having that you go from the bubble and a couple nights ago, oh, there's preseason basketball on. Right, I know. I mean, I watched the draft. The draft was, it is what it is. I, we are in the Christmas season. I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm a little bit of a Grinch today. A little bit of a Scrooge. Oh, hopefully my heart grows throughout this podcast. I hate watching the draft and the picks get leaked so early. I understand uh, that's their job. I God, hate I got it. Nervous there. I thought you were gonna go somewhere else. Um, yeah. You get well, and this sounds easy. You got to stay off Twitter. I know. I know you do. I mean, or just don't follow Woj or Shams for that night. But it's hard not to. And then you're good. Yeah. Well, I mean, the Pacers didn't have a first rounder, so yeah. Um, I guess that took out a little bit of the climatic nature of the NBA draft. But yeah, I, I you know I was watching the so far two preseason games. You know, Pacers will play. We're posting this kind of Friday morning. The Pacers will play another one tonight. And um, like I said, the season opener on Wednesday. But, yeah, Maddie was like, oh, my gosh, the NBA starting again? <laughs> you know, and, and here we are. I'm a little surprised that it is starting again. I know there's like five to ten people, Chris, that message me uh, a decent amount. And like, when are you doing another Pacers pod? So I apologize to you, and you might be the only five to ten people that are listening. But uh, here you go. And – I always, you know, preface this when we get to the Pacers content. We have written content up on the site after every game. Yeah. And I just posted a season preview as well up on the site. And so that'll get pretty in-depth with things. And, um, yeah, we don't maybe give it the full-on coverage, at least early in the season, because of the overlap like we do Colts. But, you know, once we get into the meat of it and around trade deadline and whatnot, we'll have more uh, more Pacers coverage as well. Yeah, and hopefully these guys make, you know, a solid push. There's there's obviously some changes. We go from old Nate to new Nate. Yes. Um, we've, Bjork Grant. I don't know how many times I'm going to say that on the <laughs> podcast, but we'll just refer to him as new Nate. Um, a, an addition that I'm at least happy to see, and it's because of the, the hometown bias and, and people down in Louisville at Ballard High School, which was where Allen Houston went as well, a product of, of Ballard High School, Keelan Martin coming back to the yeah. Pacers from Butler. So. Some some nice additions that I'm looking to kind of see, but the the main thing is going to be for me, Kevin, just seeing how this team responds to their new coach. Yeah, and l- let's start there, and we'll and we'll get into some storylines before we do have you know about a half dozen Twitter questions to get to. You know, I remember I'm trying to think, I can't even remember if we did a season-ending Pacers podcast, but certainly I talked about it on the radio, Chris, of when they fired Nate McMillan, it was time. Yeah. You know, you, you needed a fresh perspective to ignite that building, especially if you're going to run it back like they ended up doing. And I think Bjorkgren should be very intriguing to fans. Now, look, sitting in the seat versus sitting in the next seat, 
is totally different animal. And obviously his experience is, you know, a bit lacking at the NBA level. He's got G League head coaching experience, but really as an NBA assistant. You know, he's really only been assistant for about a handful of years. So what what I wanted was I wanted someone off a staff that has playoff success. Yep. And certainly the Raptors did that. The mix of handling a star like Kawhi and then also having player development, which honestly player development might be the best aspect to the Bjorkren resume of what you look at Toronto and you see what they have done with Fred Van Vliet, pretty sure he's undrafted. Pascal Siakam, super late first-round pick. Um, Ananobi, I feel like, has even developed a little bit as well. Now I think a lot of that was just injury-related and natural health. Um, But I'm pretty sure they had, like, no lottery picks on that NBA title team. And, you know, yeah, Kawhi obviously qualifies as a a big time, um, and we don't need to relive that draft night either. But their ability to maintain damn good success last season with Kawhi leaving really resonated with me. And so I feel like you you like that. And then certainly just the offensive innovation. You know, the Raptors shot, I, think, I want to say they were like 6th and 11th in three-point attempts the two years that Bjorkren was there. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you've watched the preseason games, but man, <laughs> the Pacers are flinging it. I they mean, are. over 43-point attempts, I think, in both games. Maybe 40 on one of the games. And I think they shot over 43s one time all last year. What One time. I mean, whatever, 70-some games you ended up playing. So, I am intrigued. I'm curious. I am um, eager to watch this team under this head coach because the Pacers usually play it safe. Mm-hmm. Safe would have been running back with Nate McMillan. I don't think too many people would have gone crazy had they held on to Nate McMillan. Like, they've had nice regular season success. They could point to some injury situations, certainly. And I like Nate, and he's an old Nate, I should say. He's a nice guy. I think he handles his business in a very professional way, but this business is bottom line. And when you don't get it done in the playoffs and you get run off the floor, which really they did for much of that Miami series, um, you're going to get let go. And that's what happened. So I'll give credit to Kevin Pritchard and that organization for realizing that they needed to do something mm-hmm. and they didn't want to just play it safe and, you know, high floor and you know, all that stuff. Like, this is a bit of a risk. It was necessary to take a risk, again, especially when you don't make a move really yeah. significantly in the offseason at all. Um, I also kind of like that he's coached two ends of the spectrum, Chris. Like He's coached in Toronto and Phoenix. So he's seen hell, yeah. the Suns, no pun intended with their nickname. And then he's also seen, I don't know, one of the more respected franchises in the NBA over the last you know handful of years. I think Toronto would probably qualify as that. So... I like that aspect um, to it as well. You know, I, I've listened to Doug McDermott and Malcolm Brogdon specifically throughout these kind of training camp Zoom meetings. And, you know, Doug's played in a lot of places. And, um, you know, he's mentioned how his attention to detail and his energy is off the charts, and he's not afraid to call guys out. Uh, I think you like that. Mm-hmm. You know, Brogdon has mentioned just incredible creativity with him and Brogdon I thought was very vocal after the McMillan firing of you know and I'm probably paraphrasing but honestly Brogdon was pretty close to saying this like we just flat out got out coached in the playoff series by Miami and so I think that you know Malcolm said like you were in need of some creativity and from talking to guys like Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet he was a bit of a mastermind yeah for for the Raptors uh, now having said all that 
talent usually reigns in the NBA. So um, I, I disagree with the Pacers' lack of activity this offseason. I have been vocal before, and I will say it again. I thought Miles Turner should have been moved. Um, I, I just don't think two bigs is the way to go, and I think you need to get a little bit talented, m- more talented uh, in the backcourt, and you need to try to find a young asset that you can kind of build it around. And I just don't, I don't see that on this team. I don't think Oladipo's there at all, and I don't think Brogdon qualifies in that either. But we'll get into that a little bit more. But I guess lastly on on Nate, Chris, I think they'll space the floor. Yes, they're going to shoot more threes. Um, the off-ball movement in the half court is something that I've seen a little bit as well. A lot of guys handling it. Like, this is not just Brogdon as your true point guard. He goes. I mean, they've – watching the two preseason games was just another reminder of DeMondis Sabonis is this team's most important player. Yeah. He is a stud, and they do so much through him, not just points and rebounds, which, you know, speaks for itself. And then on the, on the other end of the floor, I feel like they're, they're pretty aggressive on and off the ball and trying to deny. And obviously you're taking chances with that. And they've they turned over the Cavs, which, you know, we can debate how much of an NBA team the Cavs are. But they turned them over at a pretty high rate in those first two games. So they also turned it over a good amount as well, which is something to keep an eye on. But um, that's kind of where they're at. I like they're, that they're going to switch a little bit more defensively and within games, not just like, you know, from game to game. or mm-hmm. so. Like you've got to be adaptable over the course of four quarters. Hell, within a quarter. You know, I, I think back to the Pacers-Raptors game last year up in Toronto when the Pacers were, God, they had to be up 10 or 12 with about four minutes to go, three minutes to go, maybe even less than that. And all of a sudden, Toronto comes out with a press. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it looked like Rosie Bow and my <laughs> you know nephew and nieces, Teddy, Ellen, and Ben, trying to break the press. Like, it was like, well, oh my gosh, what are we doing out here? Mm-hmm. And... You just got to be creative. You got to be, you know, especially in the playoffs because teams scout you up and down like none other. And if you're not willing to adapt and try something new, especially during the regular season, like I think Nate's going to try new things over the course of the regular season. You might sacrifice some wins, which we can get into that because I think the East is pretty deep this year. But I like that approach. Yeah. Playoff basketball is totally different. This league is, unfortunately, as much as I hate it, Load management is the phrase, and we hate it, but that's the reality of life in the NBA nowadays. So, yeah, I am um, intrigued, though. I that, that that's kind of my bottom line. It's it's modern, it's creative, it's fresh, and that was needed. God bless Nate McMillan for a lot of things, but the book is the book. Different chapters, different places, but it's the same storyline. Like great regular season coach, playoff records horrific. Yeah, he had to go. Some quick points to that. Uh, don't want to pile on old Nate. Obviously, former player, well-respected in his own right, especially defensively. What I'm hoping from the new Nate, when you talk about the three-point shooting aspect, I felt like the Pacers, especially as the NBA has started to evolve where the three-point shot has become so big, the Pacers a lot of years were just a three-point shooter away, you thought on paper, from making a deep push into the playoffs, yet... They didn't run a lot of sets for three-point shots. And also with new Nate, I hope he subs in players when he feels like they need to go in and not regardless of the score, okay, starters, you're playing for the first eight minutes and then subs are coming in and then we're going to – I felt like every time we subbed, 
it was a mechanical substitution instead of a situational substitution. Yeah, yeah. This is not Brad Bowen coaching Kevin growing up and being like, oh, uh, Tommy has to play four minutes in the second quarter and four minutes in the third quarter mm-hmm. or else, you know, his mom won't bring snacks <laughs> next week. Like, no, no, no. Like, you don't need to have set rotations. You can be, you know what, Edmund Sumner. I feel like he should play, you know, 15 minutes tonight. Something like that. You know, Goga. He needs to get a little bit more clock. No, I, I could not agree more with that. And I think Nate will be much more willing. I mean, I think some of those Raptors games, and you had guys come off the bench that I'm like, who? Yeah. And, and they were very impactful. And that helps build confidence for the playoffs if injuries happen and whatnot. And and, and back to your three-point three point, the Pacers have always been a pretty good percentage team from behind the arc. It's just an unwillingness to shoot a whole lot. Mm-hmm. So I am interested to see how that evolves. You shoot more threes, that means you take a few more bad shots, and now you kind of fall in the percentage and whatnot. They are not, like, crazy analytical to where it's, like, three or layup. Like, it's not to that degree, but, again, it's much more modern than uh, Nate McMillan. All right, well, Kevin, you have a great article up right now on 1075thefan.com. Listeners can go and check that out. The six storylines previewing the Pacers' 20-21 and season you have a couple points here. Let's go ahead and jump into some of these if you would like to. And the first one, clearly, Victor Oladipo. What, yeah, like, yeah. where's the head at? What's going on with, with his situation? Yeah, um, where the head at? Where is the head with Victor Oladipo? Boy, that's um, <laughs> good luck answering that question in a very quick manner. Um, you know, the, the, there's so many questions, Chris, in, like, so many different ways. You know, where is he at physically? Yeah. Okay, that's, that's a very fair question. Uh, is he ever going to get back to the all-NBA level? Does he want to stay in Indiana? Uh, will he get traded at the deadline? Like, I mean, there are – this is not just a one-question sort of thing of like, hmm, I wonder if DeMontis Sabonis will shoot more threes this year. Like, that's really the question you have with Sabonis. Like, you know what you're going to get with Domas. You don't know what the hell you're getting with, with Victor. You know – you hate to put too much stock in the preseason, but I think he's looked, you know, borderline awful, really, in the first two games. He's 4 of 17 from the floor. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll obviously see how he develops, you know, physically. And, and, you know, he's pretty adamant that physically he feels a lot different. I mean, I watch him and don't think that he's, like, hurt or don't think he's – I just don't think he's full throttle. I don't think he's – I don't think he's full throttle, and at the same time, I don't think he realizes just how to kind of – play with those speeds, if you will, of like, you know when to rev it up, but you still play under control. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, when I get in the lane, you know, he's just not very crisp with a pull-up or a floater or things like that. His two-point shooting in particular is just awful in the bubble and and hasn't been good again just two preseason games, and I don't put a ton, a ton of stock in it, but it's certainly what I'm looking at right now. Um, So, yeah, again, I've been very adamant my – my thoughts on Victor, I don't think he's a max-level player. I've never really thought that. I thought 2017, 2018 was a fluke. And unfortunately, he suffered just a very devastating injury. And that sucks. I mean, flat out. Like, yeah. that is stunted, I think, potential growth. Or, you know, even if he just could be a consistent all-star, maybe not the all-NBA player he was that season, even just a consistent all-star, um, you know, that that would be fine. But I think the Pacers have to make a very – Difficult decision. And, like, what what is he going to even look like, you know? If he plays great early on in the season, would the Pacers be more inclined to keep him and not train with the deadline? Okay, that makes sense. But then all of a sudden it's like, 
wait, what happens if he walks in free agency next summer and you don't get anything for him in return? Like that, that's my fear right. about this situation, really. Um, but I don't think he deserves he, to me, and this is not even, I'm not even taking into consideration, Chris, how he's acted. Like we all see how he's acted, and, and in my opinion, it's, <clears throat> you know, way too similar to the Paul George situation. Um, putting that to the side, I just don't think he's an alpha to lead your team to an Eastern Conference championship or something like that. So um, everyone wanted the Hollywood story, you know, the IU and all, and all that. Mm-hmm. I just don't see it happening. I see him, you know, at best as a, I don't know, 16-point type guy and, you know, streaky shooter. Because that was my thing in the bubble. It's like when you rewatched him, he shot so many threes in the bubble compared to what he normally does. I was like, okay, do you have to retool your game after the injury? Do you have to become more of a three-point shooter? Because he's a 6'4 guard mm-hmm. that is an inconsistent shooter and doesn't have a great, great handle. You know, people thought when he was drafted, okay, could he be a Russell Westbrook? Can you turn him into a point guard? But no, he just doesn't have that that tight of a handle. And now if you take away the absurd athleticism that he has and limit that and limit the – ability to kind of finish through contact and get to the line. How can he get to the all-NBA level? How can he get to the all-star level? And, again, he's creeping up, you know, to the age of 30 as well. So, um, again, super, super curious to see what he looks like for many reasons. But as of right now, I see no reason why a big long-term deal should be given by the Pacers, nor if Victor wants to stay here Mm long-term as well. Yeah, because even if he does develop a three, which I hope he does, you have to for the longevity of the NBA, a guy that he would kind of remind you of at that point, Danny Green. Danny Green at UNC, dunker, flying through the air, not great with handles. When he got into the league, he realized, I can't do this forever. I'm going to have to develop a three. I think Victor needs to do that. And when you talk about the all-pro level, Danny Green isn't an all-pro. You're not paying Danny Green the same money that you're paying an all-pro, so... Victor, I think, needs to figure it out. And, you know, a lot of people say, you know, you're you're kind of backed into a corner. Like, you're in this market. You have to pay him. No. Like, you don't have to pay him. Ultimately, the Pacers are going to have to draft better than they mm-hmm. have. And I can get into that oh, a little yeah. bit later. But, um, no, you don't need to set back your franchise three to four years because you feel like in a market you have to pay a mediocre player. And mediocre is unfair but you know what i'm saying yeah whatever a top 50 player in the league top 20 money something like that no you have got to be able to try and build your team through trades and through drafts really um so yeah that's that's kind of where you're at with with victor and what might keep victor here is the influence from bjorkeren he's already spoken fairly well about him i know we've talked a lot about bjorkeren to start the uh the podcast but more of his influence you have any more input on that yeah nothing not a whole lot. I'll just say this, Chris. You know, he is very adamant about, again, trying things differently during the regular season because in the postseason, it's crazy when you look at it. You know, the Pacers obviously getting swept in the bubble. There's been like 20 teams in the NBA, maybe even a little bit more, that have won an NBA series since the last time the Pacers won a playoff series. Mm-hmm. Like, boy, that's surprising. I mean, when you think of the Pacers, you think of a team that routinely makes the playoffs, which they do. Yes. But, you know, usually, like, wins a series or at least does something of note in the postseason. So, um, that is – but then I look at the East right now, and I'm like, boy, Brooklyn's got to be better. 
you know, then they and they were, you know, decent, whatever they were, eight or nine seed last year or something like that, maybe even seven seed. And you look at the rest of the conference, and I'm like, man, the rest of the conference looks. I mean, is Toronto going to fall off a cliff with losing Gasol and Ibaka? Like, is Toronto really going to take? You know, Kemba's been banged up, and obviously losing Gordon Hayward. But I don't know. I, I just, I, I think the Pacers will comfortably make the playoffs, but I don't think it's like as much of a slam dunk as maybe I thought in years past. And remember, if you're the seven seed, you're in the playing game, mm-hmm. so you don't even have a locked up, you know, first round series with that. But Hearing new Nate talk about his approach to an NBA season, I like. Uh, 82-game grind is a grind. Yeah. Nate McMillan exhausted his team in trying to win every single game, which has benefits. Mm-hmm. You know, you were the fourth seed last year, but it also has some cons to it, and I think we saw that, you know, come playoff time. Nick Nurse had to manage the bigs, like you just mentioned, Ibaka and Gasol. Right. New Nate is going to have to manage the two bigs that we have in Turner and, and Sabonis. What do you see there? You know, I'm um, I'm a bit conflicted about this. You know, I've always been a pro-trade Miles Turner, and it's not because I think Miles is a bad player. Like, let me make that very clear. I think Miles is extremely valuable uh, to a lot of NBA teams. Yeah. And to the Pacers, he, he brings value, certainly as a rim protector and uh, as a three-point shooter. Is his on-ball defense against bigger post players uh, a an issue? Yes. Is his... You know, ability to maybe throw the ball to when he has a switch on him in the post a problem and taking advantage of that, yes. Uh, but still, you know, if if he blocked three shots a game and, and shot 38% from three, you'd happily take that. But I watch, and again, this is me probably way too recency biased, Chris, but Friday night, Miles didn't play. Was it Friday night? Maybe it was Monday. Monday, Miles didn't play against the Cavs. He was sick. He, um... So Sabonis started with Aaron Holiday because T.J. Warren is still out as well. So Pacers were pretty small mm-hmm. around Sabonis. And, I mean, I'll tell you what, man. <laughs> those first eight minutes, nine minutes of basketball, I thought I was watching the Houston Rockets, like good Rockets. I mean, it was incredible seeing their flow, the amount of threes they shot. Now, again, having Aaron Holiday is different than having T.J. Warren. It's a different ball handler right. out there. It's you know certainly a green light special. Aaron, I think sometimes <laughs> he thinks he's got the neon light. But I just think playing around one big is the way to go. And I say it more so because I don't think the guard talent is at a championship level or at an Eastern Conference final level. And so I'm looking at it from uh, if I'm trying to upgrade my talent on the roster, what is a resource I can give away right. that can get me something in return? And that would be trading Miles. And so I felt like Miles, even for a first-round pick, this past year, high high first round pick, but you know that would have been something wise because again, in this market, if you don't draft well, you're not going to survive. Um, now it looks like clearly they're going to have Miles and Domas in the starting lineup. So with Miles, it's certainly how many threes he shoots. You know, at times I feel like he's kind of passed up threes, and I feel like Nate will make sure that he has the green light. And you know, are they going to play a lot of five out? Pretty much. Mm-hmm. Sabonis, it would be okay. How much? Is he a dribble handoff and a, you know, pick and roll guy? And do you put him on the block as much as you maybe did last year? I mean, how many times would this team be in a rut offensively and Domas just get a bucket to bail you out of that? Yeah. Um, so his presence back speaks for itself. I think he's a stud. I deserve it all-star like he was last year. He's the one I would keep rebounding. Um, obviously, he does much better than Miles. Now, you lose, if you were trade Miles, you would lose a big-time 
rim protecting presence. I think the perimeter defense should be better. Yes. Though. And that was an issue last year. I think with this aggressive mindset, it'll be better there. But, um, you know, Abak and Gasol, for as much as we, like, think they play together, they really didn't play together yeah. that much. So watching how Bjorkren uses them together, it's got my attention. We talked about the draft a couple of different times. Obviously, the Pacers did not have a first-round pick this year because of the Malcolm Brogdon trade from last season. I want to talk on the type of return that we need to expect to see from Malcolm. Yeah, you know, Chris, this is something that I, I probably some fans will kind of, I don't know, maybe give me some pushback for or not necessarily agree with. But when the Pacers traded, you know, for Malcolm Brogdon and then signed him, you know, because he was that restricted free agent, you sent a pretty clear message. Now, part of it is the market that you're in, but you also sent a message of giving him, what, $80 million, I think, over four years and trading a first-round pick mm-hmm. that the return on that guy, he needs to be an all-star or very, very close to being an all-star. And, and this is where just the unfortunate cloud that hangs over Malcolm Brogdon's career, he's got to be available. That's been the issue. Since his Virginia days, that has been the issue. It's just his availability. I think that's why Milwaukee was comfortable with not necessarily matching the Pacers' offer sheet and like, all right, um, we'll happily take your first-round pick because we like the guy. We think he's a great second or third option playing off the the best player in the world, not named LeBron, (laughs) but he just can't stay healthy. And we saw last year, man, I mean, how many times did you wake up and you're like, Wow, Malcolm Brogdon has a new injury? There was like six or seven yeah. last year. And so when you're missing a quarter of NBA seasons and you just aren't, you know, all-star efficient level, which he wasn't last year, that's not the return that you need considering the resources that you gave up. Um, draft picks are precious. I know the NBA, it's very difficult to draft. I'm not losing sight of that. Yeah. But again... With this team and this market, you've got to use those picks. So, um, a couple things with Brogdon. He, you know, he was very candid, and I always appreciate his candor about how more difficult the shots were he had to take last season. It's not Giannis or Chris Middleton setting you up. No, no, no. Right. You're handling the ball, and then you've got to create for yourself and create for others. Like that's a lot on his plate. But that's kind of what I'm getting at. Like the Pacers said, you were a 50-40-90 in Milwaukee as the three man third option mm-hmm. you got to come here be much more of a one one a two option whatever you want to call it and handle it he is your point guard it's not blood so or whatever we also need you to defend really well yep at the other end too so it's just it's a lot on his plate man um and i and i realize that but health and efficiency got to get i mean i want to say three point percent has dropped like 10 percent from last year, his turnovers went up as well. You expect a little bit of that, but, I mean, that's a big, big drop um, from last season. So I know he wants to be a better shooter to the left. That's kind of a thing that he worked on. Um, I think he shot it pretty well in the first two games. I feel like I've noticed him shooting it pretty well. But really, it's just health with him. I mean, I think if he can stay healthy, you know, he still can be a top 20-ish player. But injuries with him, considering he's not a very explosive athlete, compared to others that are maybe, you know, six five and, and starting at guard level in the NBA, you just see it a little bit more with them. So yeah. I don't want to lose sight of Brogdon. I feel like we talk so much about Victor. We talk so much about the two bigs. You know, you gave up a lot to get Malcolm Brogdon. And 
you need to see that in return. We talked about most of the starting lineup. Let's transition over to a, a guy who most of Pacers Nation changed their Twitter avatar for as we headed into uh, the NBA bubble, and a guy that took the bubble by storm the first couple weeks, and that's TJ Warren. Dude, I'll, I'll never forget that um, that first game. Was it Philly? I think it was Philly. That, that, that first game of the bubble. That was one of the greatest individual performances mm-hmm. I've ever seen, and I don't say that lightly. I mean, it's... T.J. Warren was a man-possessed. I, I couldn't believe the amount of big shots he hit. And then, you know, followed it up. He had a big game, I want to say, against the Lakers as well, or maybe the Rockets. Or um, Now, right now, as we record this, you know, he's week-to-week with that plantar fasciitis. Mm-hmm. And that has been kind of something that, not necessarily that injury, although he had it, you know, in the bubble a little bit and played through it, his health has been kind of a question mark throughout his career. But I can't say enough good things about what T.J. Warren gave you last season. Um, having David West as a mentor, I think is just awesome. Like yeah. David West stands for everything. You should want your, you know, son or daughter to grow up and be as an athlete. Um, so I, I really like TJ Warren. I, I don't necessarily think he's 20 a night type of guy, but I mean, a very efficient 16 ish a night. And, you know, maybe he doesn't need to shoot a ton, a ton of threes. You know, it's kind of a, whatever, middle-ish 30% three point shooter in the league. Uh, but I thought his three-point shot looked pretty good for me last year. And, again, yeah. that was a question. You know, he had that one fluke year, um, or at least people thought it could be a fluke in, in Phoenix. So you just what do you get out of Warren? Because if Brogdon's in and out and Oladipo is moved or just not there, boy, T.J. Warren takes on a big brunt of it, man. And um, he's got to play at a very close to that bubble-type level, which unfairly or fairly, that's potentially where you're at. Yeah, and not to ruin your article, but a, a good point that you made was, you know, his time in Phoenix with New Nate. You know, he's actually played with him or right. under him before. Yeah, I think um, I think specifically on whatever the G League team is for the Suns. I think Nate coached that G League team when TJ Warren was uh, early on in his career, probably the D League back then and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there is some familiarity there. And, yeah, you, you just hear this plantar fasciitis and you're just kind of curious – how it's going to play out because you know you're without Jeremy Lamb you know for a chunk of the start of the season so with how good your bench is how consistent the McConnell McDermott older holiday slash younger holiday is you know you really like to keep that group together yeah um but yeah I mean when you start rattling off names boy the Pacers do have great depth I mean one to ten one to eleven boy they probably have some of the better depth in the league really yeah huge TJ McConnell fan Oh, my gosh, I love it. He's worth the price of admission. Yes, he is. All right, the last bullet point you have in the article is the development of Goga, our first-round pick from last season. Goga, um, love the name, love saying it. Uh, Been a little banged up here, Chris, with the knee injury to not Mm -hmm. play in the first two preseason games. And, look, the Pacers could win. How many games are they playing this year, 72? Yeah, I believe, yeah, 72. Um, You know, Goga could play whatever. Five minutes a game this season. Pacers can win 50 games, win a first-round series, and Goga could literally pass out water. Like, <laughs> his impact to this season is probably minimal unless you make some yeah. substantial trade. But this gets back to the point that I've been making throughout, Chris. It's that um, the Pacers have drafted um, horrifically, honestly, for this market over the last handful of years. Again, is it difficult to find talent in the NBA yes but I think I want to say they have nine draft picks since 2016 on their roster 
or uh, they have they've had nine draft picks and only three are left on the roster. Yeah. One of those is Cassius Stanley. Yes, I think Goga and Aaron Holiday. Mm-hmm. I believe are the others. So TJ Leaf, you know, I, I don't. I've said all I need to say about TJ Leaf. <laughs> uh, by the way, Pacers with one of the more hilarious social media posts you'll ever see about thank you to TJ Leaf. Uh, boy, you want to laugh? Read some of those mentions there. Um, you know, it's just it's it's tough. You you look at the trade for Thaddeus Young and you're like, man, at the time makes a whole lot of sense. You're in more of a win now mode, and then boom, Brooklyn gets Karis LeVert with yeah, that right. pick. And I know you can do that a lot. It's a dangerous game to play, and we can say, you know, Ananobi or Kuzma instead of TJ Leaf and all of that. What I'm getting at is you just flat out have got to draft that you cannot have nine draft picks in a recent five year span. And only three are left. One you just drafted a few weeks ago, and the other one's your first-round pick from last season. So, like, you almost throw those two out the window. Of course they're still going to be on your roster. Right. And, and, and even Aaron Holiday, I don't look at him as a starter on a top-five team in a conference. I think Aaron's a nice player um, and, and is a f- fine rotational piece. But even him has not turned into, whatever, a top-three or four starter on your team. So when you don't attract free agents, you've got – to hit on draft picks yep, and point blank period. So I look at Goga and I'm just like, where's the development? If Goga shows you something, Chris, and with European big guys, it can take a little bit longer. And obviously um, the Pacers thought Goga would potentially make an earlier impact just because he had played at a high level and they thought his rim protection would, would kind of be something that would be there from day one. Um, if he could give you something that might all of a sudden alleviate a little bit of worry about trading a Miles Turner or DeMontis Sabonis or somebody like that. But right now, it, it just it's hard to see Goga getting consistent minutes. I would like to see him, and maybe new Nate will force him into the rotation, but I don't see a clear path for him there. So, um, yeah, man, it was um, doesn't really matter for this year. Mm-hmm. But if I'm talking Pacers five to ten years down the road, boy, if Goga can show you something – That'll help a lot of things out. Yeah, especially like you said with that with that chip of, of Miles Turner. You don't want to get rid of Miles, but that's the that's the biggest chip you're willing to part with right now. So his development's key. And the Pacers, you, you can never miss over time at, at any pick, whether you're drafting first or last. But the Pacers typically draft anywhere from like 15 to 22. And when you're in that position, especially in a small market where a lot of guys aren't necessarily coming here, you have to hit on someone at some point, and they just haven't been able to do that. Yeah, so since 2016, I just pulled it up here, Chris. Karis LeVert, you know, traded for Thaddeus Young. Again. Mm-hmm. Georges Niang, second rounder. I'm pretty sure he's getting minutes for Utah. Yeah. I think Utah. Uh, 2017, Leaf at 18 overall. EK, remember EK? Mm-hmm. Anigbogu. Gosh, <laughs> just hope I can spell it. Um, no, obviously, no. Aaron Holiday. And Alize Johnson, 2018. Uh, Goga and Jarrell Brantley, looks like, to the Jazz in 2019. And Cassius Stanley. And, and Cassius, I, I'm actually um, I'm actually a fan of. I actually think that could turn into a, a rotational piece down the road. But um, by no means am I saying you need to be hitting on these picks and they need to become instant, you know, whatever, all-stars and day one starters and things like that. But when these guys are not even on your roster, Chris – or they're not even getting consistent rotational minutes, mm-hmm. that is an issue. Um, and unfortunately, it just gets exasperated a little bit more when you're in this market. And 
And you can even go back a little bit further. Obviously, you know, Turner uh, was a great pick at at at, tw- at uh, 11 overall. I think he qualifies that. But, you know, the Joe Young aspect to it, 2014, no first-round pick. You know, 2013, Solomon Hill, who, you know, had the huge playoff series and left, but never was really a consistent rotational guy for you. Yeah. And then freaking Plumley. I mean, uh, Plumley. Yeah, just stop there. Plumley. You know what, though? Joe Young didn't make a Gatorade commercial, so props to him. I tell you what, Joe Young, I don't follow him on social media, but some people I do follow occasionally re- retweet him. It looks like he scores a will in China. The guy averages like sick. It's like him and Russ Smith over in China yeah, just both putting up like 80 a game. And I think I think one of Joe Young's coaches, if I'm not mistaken, because I think he's he's retired now, but just recently retired, unless he's a teammate, but uh, Stefan Marbury. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I was afraid you might say his name. Who um, has made a killing over? I mean, he has plays. He has statues. Like he's literally worshipped like a god. Good for him. I mean, the Starberries. Yeah. You know, have obviously taken off over there. Yeah, Joe Joe Young. You uh, you love the passion and whatnot, and and, and Chris, I I I want to stress, drafting in the NBA is very very difficult. Yes. Very very difficult. But when you run an NBA franchise. And the city that you're in is Indianapolis, which we love to death. It doesn't attract the big names. So when it doesn't attract the big names, you've got to put more into scouting. And that's why I like the Bjorkren, you know, higher because you have to try and create advantages in other ways. Free agency is never going to be an advantage for you. It's just not. So how do you create an advantage on the sideline? How do you create an advantage in the draft? You put more resources. You invest more into that. You make sure that you feel like you have an Eric Spolstra-type advantage, mm-hmm. like Malcolm Brogdon so clearly stated, in the playoffs. Or you get to the draft and whatever. Your scouting department, that's your bread and butter. You make sure full well that you're going to hit on these picks um, at a higher percentage than they have. Right. All right, Kevin, let's jump into some Twitter questions like you mentioned. Not a ton, but some 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 pretty good ones here. All right, let's do it. This first one's from Alex, and he asked a question that I think everyone's kind of curious about. With basically the same roster and a new coach, what are your expectations for this team? Yeah, I would say definitely making the playoffs, Chris, um, and being more competitive in round one. You know, I I think it's really important to kind of, you know, crawl before you walk, and that's not a reference to Rosie Bow or anything <laughs> like that. But you'd love to see them get over the hurdle of that first-round series because – it is a hurdle. Like, it is, yes, you've had turnover on the roster, but there is an internal, certainly with your fan base, like, oh, maybe you're just going to get in the playoffs and bow out in round one. So that's maybe a little bit, I don't know. When you run the personnel back like you have, I would like to see this team get into a first-round series and have chances to win that series, not just win games, although you've lost, what, nine straight first-round playoff games. That would probably be a start. But yeah, I think expectations should be to make the playoffs – um, and be more competitive in the first round. This one's from L.A. Springman, who's curious. He doesn't necessarily know if it's the right move, but something to think about. A lot of talk this offseason with Bjorkren, thinking about tweaking the starting lineup with the new offense and maybe some sort of faster pace. Is that inserting Justin Holiday over Turner, or what other kind of tweaks might we see? Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, L.A. Springman, I don't know if he's related to Tony Springman, former Notre Dame player, the wild, crazy red hair of Tony Springman. Um, you know, I was a fan when Sabonis got hurt in the bubble. 
I was a fan of inserting Justin Holiday right away. They didn't do it, I think, till later. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I really like Justin Holiday, man. That was a nice re-signing. I thought that was a wise move for the Pacers to make. But I trust him. <laughs> He's so much less volatile than his brother. His brother's such a loose cannon. You never know what you're going to get with Aaron. Uh, whereas Justin, I think, is just steadier and shoots the three ball at a pretty nice level as well. And I think it gives you something on the defensive end. And I think it helps you switch. You know, think about that. If you were to start Justin Holiday. Brogdon, Oladipo, Justin Holiday, Warren, four guys in between 6'4", 6'8". That's very interchangeable from a switching standpoint. Um, I don't think Bjorkren will do this, but I think it's something to think about for sure because, again, I I hate to put too much stock into one quarter of the preseason, but I I believe there's a better offensive flow when only one big is on the floor. Yeah. This next one's from Bill Smith, and he wants to know if Victor really wants out of Indy, the Pacers would be wise to blow it up and rebuild, especially under an innovative coach like Bjorkren. Definitely felt like hiring Dan Tony and fielding a roster would not be good enough and that the, the Pacers would lose in the first round. You know, Bill, um, I don't disagree with this. I mean, the Pacers would never do this. Clearly, they aren't doing it. But, like, I was probably a fan of trading Oladipo this offseason for whatever you could get. Like, what was that Milwaukee rumor trade? Did you did, did you see that? No. Okay, so it was to the Bucks. I think I have this right. The Bucks drafted, well, hell, they had the Pacers first round pick. Mm-hmm. So I think you would have gotten that back. So like 23 or wherever you would draft the 24. Then George Hill, which whatever, I don't necessarily, I think George Hill had a much better career here than people want to give him credit for, but that, that doesn't matter to me. And then uh, Dante DiVincenzo top 20 pick whenever he was taken you know, yeah. a couple of years ago. So I look at it and think to myself, okay, and again, who are you getting at 23 or 24? Yeah, but, you know, all of a sudden can you package, I don't know, Turner in 24, and now you're in the top five, or I don't know, something like that. Maybe that's a crazy thought, but um, I just have a nerve that the return on Oladipo is going to be pretty empty. Either he doesn't get to the level that you want him to get to, so you don't want to bring him back, or he gets there, but he yeah. wants to go somewhere else. Right. So that's where I just watch this trade deadline, Bill, and I'm like, boy, could the Pacers be sellers? They're, they're never sellers, um, which is so weird to say. But um, you have a lot of fans out there that look at the NBA and say, unless you are committed to somewhat of a tank, you're never going to get to that level. And trust me, their franchises, I mean, how many top 10 picks have the Cavs had in a row since LeBron? I mean, and they're just... And they just keep taking point right, guards. How many Colin Sexton's <laughs> and Darius Garland's and right. Okoro's and all that, you know. Um, but then you also look at teams last year in the playoffs, and I feel like, man, Denver, like, they get to the conference finals and they've got drafted dudes. Yeah, high picks like Murray, but then, you know, Jokic is a late mm-hmm. pick. And, you know, the middle-ish picks and Harris and Porter Jr. and... You know, hitting on guys like Barton and um, and Tory Craig, and you know some of those guys. Like, there is a lot of there's a lot of homegrown talent even on these teams. Yeah, you got teams that you know ultimately buy them, but there's still some homegrown talent. Right. So, Bill, I don't disagree with that, but the reality is the Pacers aren't going to do that. The Pacers are taking what the Colts are currently doing and trying to stay good while thinking about the long term future. Pacers are trying to do that, but probably taking it to, like, a much bigger level. Right. This one's from David. He says, strong filling in for JMV. 
JMV David. for people who aren't in the Indianapolis market is the three to seven or three to six uh, drive time host here on 1070 The Fan. John Michael Vincent. That's right. Says he was catching up on the podcast and was interested in what Jay Michael said about Brogdon and Oladipo not getting along and would love to hear a little more about that. Yeah, David, that's a great memory. I, um, yeah, filled in for JMV. I, I don't know when exactly it was, but I had Jay, Jay Michael on, who I think does a terrific job covering the Pacers for the Indy Star. And he made it very clear that Brogdon and Oladipo, um, there's a bit of a disconnect um, with those two. Uh, I've definitely heard similar stuff, you know, full transparency. J. Michael has much better sourcing than than I do. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm skeptical of that relationship. You know, Brockton's a different breed, man. You know, he is a different and he's he, I think there are a lot of unbelievable qualities about Malcolm Brogdon. But it's just uh him and Victor, I don't think necessarily align maybe on a lot of how Victor Oladipo handled himself playing in the bubble versus how Malcolm Brogdon would have handled. I mean, Malcolm Brogdon had COVID like three weeks before the bubble. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, handled that, I thought, a lot better than Victor Oladipo's handling with the Shams article and all that stuff. And I know this is like a, maybe a small thing, but like, remember we had the Radiothon on the station, Chris? Yeah. Remember that? Brogdon, yep. for Brogdon, the, those that didn't know, Malcolm Brogdon doing a lot here for um, Indianapolis Public Schools and um, again, just a huge, huge advocate for supporting communities. And so basically Brogdon had on, boy, a lot of Pacer players. Victor wasn't one of them. It, it, you know, some people would be like, who the hell cares? But like, you know, McDermott and Warren and uh, Turner. I mean, like we had on a lot of Pacers people yeah. across our shows, and yet Victor wasn't one of them. So um, I just think that that's one piece of it I you know I don't think they are totally and do you have to be you know happy-go-lucky and holding hands and walking to Qdoba on Delaware Street after <laughs> practice or whatever no but um I think that is something just to keep an eye on on the court and uh and off the court because I think skill set wise like Brogdon's played off the ball Depot's played on the ball like I do think there can be some chemistry there but something to get, something to keep an eye on all right this next one comes from Austin very passionate with this question. Oh, I like and it's not really a question. He says it's more of a request. Okay. Convince me I'm not wasting my time with this team. I'm sick of the good, competitive, small market team shit. Perennial mm-hmm. fourth and fifth seeds, only to get embarrassed in the playoffs by a team that almost had them. I just want to win something. Um. Wow. You know, there's no gray area there, Chris. That is pretty clear how Austin thinks, and I do think there is a segment of the fan base that would agree with that. Mm-hmm. There's also a segment of the fan base that's probably like, you know, I have a small ticket package and I, I like seeing them win, whatever, 50 games over the course of a regular season. Um, I probably fall a little bit more with you, Austin. I'm a, uh, you know, I, I, I think back to the Pacers teams growing up and it's like, you know, you have, I have these vivid Im- images of making the finals in 2000 or, you know, just the competitive series against the Pistons or mm-hmm. even with the Heat, you know, earlier in the last decade and whatnot. And I tend not to really remember a whole lot of 50 win and whatever. You take LeBron to seven or, you know, you win a series and you bow out in the second round. So it is kind of just what do you want as a franchise and what do the, what do the Simons want as a franchise as well? Is it 
you know, try and create the kind of two to three year window every decade. And, and that's, you know, really where you make your run or is it be, you know, nine or 10 years, nine or 10 years where you're in the playoffs, but maybe you aren't as equipped to uh, push all your chips into the middle of the table, Austin. So um, I, I can't, I mean, if you, if you as a fan, which I'm not saying this in any sort of condescending way or whatnot, if you as a fan are a championship or bust or a deep playoff run or bust fan, then you're right. You are spot on there. Now, if you're a fan that, you know, is a little bit more of a, well, I'm fine with them being okay, and this is just how the NBA deals the cards. And, like, you know, unless you draft a Giannis, there's no chance for you in a small market, then, okay. Um, I also kind of see that side of it. You know, it, it's weird. I try to compare it to my fandom because I'm not really a huge fan of any professional sports team. I guess I am a big Reds fan, but not, like, super diehard. Mm-hmm. But with Notre Dame, it is – um I, I find myself a little bit more invested than most. I think when they go nine and three or eight and four, I'm always like, "Oh no, I want to watch the young kids play." And you know, I really right. like for them to win a bowl game. And it's always about recruiting and whatnot. <laughs> but then I see seasons like this for Notre Dame, and I'm like, oh, "This is this is heaven." I mean, Rosie <laughs> Bow is born into the world, and Notre Dame's undefeated. Like, can life get any better than this, folks? Uh, no, uh, but beat Clemson. Um, <laughs> So that's just uh, it, it's tough, man. I, yeah. I guess where do you kind of sit on the whole? Because I mean, you're I think you're a, you're a big Pacer fan, or at least certainly I'm following the team. I where do you where do you kind of fall on the whole tank, tank, tank? Or I'm not a tank guy. I, it just goes back to like I mentioned earlier. When you are picking from that 11 to 14 to potentially 22, you just can't miss on the draft picks. I think. Yeah, and then every year we're going to get these tweets about the Pacers have the longest playoff streak of any team. O- okay. Right. They haven't what? drafted in the top 10 in our lifetime. Right. You know, that, like, that, I, that other pick. Yeah, I appreciate the fact that you're consistent with making the playoffs, but at some point, where's the payoff at? You know, I mean, I'm not saying I need to get to the championship every single year. I'm saying when you have those Paul George teams, and again, back to my uh, another point, and you need a three-point shooter – we try and go get someone like C.J. Miles, but then we don't really shoot three. So why does it matter going to get that guy? I mean, yes, Austin, I agree. I'm tired of being fourth or fifth, having the tweet sent out every season that our streak is still alive. At some point, you have to make it work. Yeah, yeah. You want to get it done when it matters the most. You yeah. Know, I, I think back to the Heat series and the month of May and Pacers and Racers. and mm-hmm. I mean, Banker's Life Fieldhouse filled in the playoffs I can kind of feel the hair on my neck stand up right now. I mean, that is an environment, man. And I love basketball. I might love basketball more than I love football, which might surprise some people. But, like, I, I don't know, something about growing up in the state, and I just it's so ingrained into me in just those environments, man. And you know it's going to be at least multiple games in a mm-hmm. series, and if you win that series, it's going to be the next. I mean, I remember competitive series with the Hawks and competitive series with – with even the Wizards, I think the Wizards with Wall and Beal early on kind of won a game or two, and that was kind of a, yeah. a a back and forth series. And you know, you have that just crazy. I still remember, you know, the game four against the Heat when you're up two one, and they had the extra day, and Wade goes down to Bloomington, and you know, whatever, forts <laughs> with Tom Crean, and next thing you know, he's back up here, and the Heat are doing their thing. Like, boy, that's why. I mean, you imagine, you know, a, a game six against Giannis in the Eastern Conference semifinals in your own building? Like, what? That uh, come on. Yeah. I mean, that's what you want. So, Austin, now that I talk myself into it and I'm ready to see Boomer 
you know, come down from the rafters <laughs> with the beat the Bucks, whatever. Uh, yeah, sign me up for that, Austin. However, however, however you got to do it, get it done. Exactly. All right, we're going to have a little bit of a crossover question. Like you mentioned, the, we have Colts and Pacers podcast. This one's from JJ. Oh, is and, this our, is this, is this the, the JJ? The JJ. Oh, boy. And I'm going to ask this question and then kind of just duck, Kevin, because oh, I, I think I know where your, your head's going to And just go. to be uh, everyone clear, JJ typically brings a little bit of, um, she's got a critical eye. Yeah. She's not afraid to, yeah, open that eye either. Not not mad about it at all. Here's the question. I heard that Kevin Pritchard consultant with, consulted with Chris Ballard regarding the Pacer coaching search. How is Ballard someone to ask? He has a losing record as a GM. He hired a terrible match for the Colts and Josh McDaniels. Josh had a bad Josh had a bad head coaching record and then backed out of the Colts deal. Ballard then hired Reich with the help of Dungey and Ursay. Hardly a shining example of how to hire a coach. What am I missing? Man, Duck is right, dude. We should, should we just end the podcast after that one? <laughs> wow. Um, uh, as I said, JJ, you know, isn't afraid to offer more of a critical stance there. Uh, you know, hard to argue with a lot of what she said, to be honest with you. I mean, like, a lot of it is fact. I guess off the top of my head, though, I mean, well, Ballard as a GM is probably still under 500 now that I think about it. I keep on forgetting the 4 and 12 year mm-hmm. to get things started with old Charles in charge. Um, I think, honestly, JJ, it was more about just the intrigue over Ballard and the variety of candidates he interviewed. You know, you think about that cycle, hiring cycle, Chris. You know, remember, Chris interviewed Matt Rule mm-hmm. at the time at Baylor. Uh, terrible win-loss record at Baylor, you know, with a program that was a doormat. Right. And now Matt Rule gets hired by Carolina a couple years later. You look at Mike Vrabel. Mike Vrabel, a finalist alongside McDaniels, and you know he's turned into a very consistent winner as well. So I think Kevin views the Colts as you're in a middle market. Now, it's different leagues. I think it's a lot easier, much easier to compete as a middle market team in the NFL than it is the NBA. But I have no issue with him seeking out Chris Ballard's advice and other GM's advice. And J.J. points out here, you know, Whatever Ballard then hired Reich with the help of Dungey Nurse. I don't give a. F- I, I almost cussed. <laughs> I, I I don't care who you consult. Just get the right hire. You can talk to your neighbor. You can talk to Blue the mascot. You can talk to, you know, whatever Barack Obama for all I can. Just get the hire right. And I think Chris Ballard sat back, and took a deep breath, and realized, oh my gosh. I've got egg on my face. All the candidates I had previously have either been hired or I've already told them no. Where do I go from here? Yeah. And he listened to a Hall of Famer in Tony Dungy, a Hall of Famer in Bill Polian, a Hall of Famer in Peyton Manning, and an owner who I think is deservedly so, uh, widely respected across the NFL, and then made a decision. So that's, I mean, when you're in these positions of authority, Chris, you cannot act like you're the smartest person in the room in all these decisions. Um, a lot goes into these decisions. Mm-hmm. And you have hire people under you and around you for reasons. And not to be yes men and women. To value their opinion and make sure that um, you're listening. Listening. And admitting that you make mistakes is also something that you probably need to have. Right. And so um, I have no issue with that. I will say this about Kevin Pritchard. I worry a little bit, and I mean, he made it very clear they were very active in going after Gordon Hayward. 
But was there a tendency this offseason to say, man, I really believe in this personnel. I really, really believe it. I think we can run it back. That is one fear that I have. Um, Because I I just, I don't look at this personnel on paper and think that's a top three or four team in the Eastern Conference. Right. So that is one fear that I have. But JJ, I have no issue whatsoever with with Kevin Pritchard consulting Chris Ballard. And um, yeah. JJ, I think you should move to New York and work for the Post. Or, yeah. or <laughs> I think JJ lives in the DC area, if I'm not mistaken. I know she'll she'll uh, she'll chime in. This one is from Connor, and this is the last one for the podcast. After your discussion about the playoff record and being swept three out of four years, I kind of like the move, but it might disrupt the culture. What are your thoughts? I assume he means Bjorkren. With Bjorkren, yes. Yeah, I um, you know when when I hear culture. Um, Chris, I, I feel like culture is a little bit more player driven. Mm-hmm. You know, I think if you get the right character players in the building, and I, and I do think the players have some great character. Um, I think that drives a lot of your culture in, internally. You know, and to steal a quote from Chris Ballard, the locker room drives it. You know, he always says that. So um, I don't want to see the effort leave. You know, Nate McMillan, outstanding in getting those guys to play at a very competitive level, night in and night out, and. There weren't many sleepless Tuesday nights for the Pacers where, you know, they look like James Harden who had just eaten Kendrick Perkins. Um, so I, I still think the culture can stay in pat, but can you sprinkle some innovation on top of that? Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's what it is. So, um, again, Bjorker and Chris, it's a big deal moving over a seat. It is a big, big deal, and it's impossible to project that with a whole lot of confidence. Right. But – Player development, innovation on both ends of the floor, being at the top with Toronto, being at the bottom with Phoenix. I think those are all experiences that you like. I mean, remember when he got hired, man? Kyle Lowry's tweets. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's the effing man, yeah, this and that. Right, Fred right. Van Vliet, Devin Booker, even. I mean, think about that. That's an assistant early on in his days in Phoenix, early on in Booker's career. I'll never forgive Devin Booker for beating Notre Dame in the Elite Eight. With with he banked in a three. Did you the, see you can't call him Devin anymore? What do I have to call him? He doesn't want to go by Devin. Dev? He wants to go by D Book. Oh, well, he doesn't like being called Devin. Well <laughs> I will keep in what I'm thinking I'm going to say, but man, that I still haven't got over that Elite Eight game in twenty fifteen, Notre Dame. That Kentucky. was a great game. Oh man. Um Well, not a great outcome, but a but a great overall. Why we game. Didn't double Carlo Anthony Towns. And I mean hell, you saw it last night. Notre Dame just refuses to play defense. Um, I did. I just think there's a jolt. I think there's a there's a there's a just freshness to what you have. You know, there's a reason that Nate McMillan's nickname was Sarge, and I just think that got a little tired. Um, so I think fans should be excited. I think they should be intrigued uh, because there's a bit of unknown, and I like unknown. Mm-hmm. I think this team needed to take a risk. I would have liked to have seen them take more of a risk personnel-wise in the offseason, but whatever. They didn't do that. So uh, how this team looks on December 17th as we record this and how it looks on, you know, whenever the trade deadline is going to be, who knows. Um, but Nate Bjorkren, I think, has a lot of qualities that uh, should have fans curious. Yes. Uh before we end the pod, and I give you your final thoughts to, to wrap things up, I, I am happy to see that the NBA All-Star Game will be returning. Right. Down Obviously, the road, right? Yeah, I think 2024. So, unfortunately, can't have it next year. Man, next year was going to be such a slate for the city. 
So do um, we have the college football title? Is that 2022? Would that is, be next college football season? I thought it was next year. But I could well, be a year I mean, off, we, but I, I thought it was next I year. I feel like we should have some fans in the building then for that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, all-star game, pushed back a couple years. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, I'm, I'm also you know, super interested to see how the NBA unfolds this year. Just right. with not being in the bubble and, and how the travel schedule works. And Pacers have a pretty easy front-loaded schedule. Boston, a couple back-to-backs in there, I think, but uh, – yeah, I think the over-under I saw was 37 wins for a 72-game season. I don't know. 37 seems a bit low. Yeah, it's a little 35, low. But I do think the East is better. So That's true. And I, I've uh, another quick point. Pretty happy with the renovation so far that's happened in Banker's Life Fieldhouse. I know. I'm only going off of what I saw in the college game. Yeah. But, yeah, the lower bowl definitely looks different as well. And uh looks like they got like a little club area almost. Right. Um. Just kind of different ways you could exit from that lower bowl. You know, everyone originally, or at least for the most part, everyone had to go through that that main concourse um, to get in there. So, um, yeah. Yeah, it looks I'm, good. I'm excited to get over the bank and uh, see what that looks like. All right, everybody, he's Chris Presley. I am Kevin Bowen. Just a little um, looking ahead to next week. Uh, only one podcast next week. I'm filling in for Dan Dockich next Wednesday. So uh, if you want a little bit more Colt Steelers-centric talk, just tune into that, 12 to 3, and there, there will be a podcast. But we'll, we'll bring you a meaty one on Monday, and honestly with people probably traveling a little bit on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, slash spending time with family, um, I don't know how much that other podcast would get consumed. Um, so, yeah, we'll have a big one for you on Monday, and then, like I said, I'll be filling in for Dan on Wednesday. So we will talk to you then. Everybody have a great weekend, and uh, – For the latest, 107.5thefan.com.